May our thoughts, words, and actions be holy and acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. I think I might have said this before, but I always chuckle when I get to this part of the liturgical year. It always makes me laugh. You know, it's stewardship season, and the lessons chosen from this year, time of the year, almost feel sort of directed. I mean, last week we heard about Zacchaeus and how he said to Jesus, I'm going to go and I'm going to give half of everything that I own to the poor. And this week we hear, but woe to you who are rich. For you have received your consolation. I mean, nobody wants woe, and this kind of makes me giggle. Is this what I'm supposed to preach? Am I supposed to get up there and say, you know, you need to give away half of everything you have, because if you don't, woe to you. I can imagine the sermons that go on in my head. They just go on and on, and all of the things that I could preach perhaps channel some of that Baptist background that I have within me. I mean, all you would need to complete this is the story of the rich young man who Jesus says, you have to give away everything to follow me. Well, I think it's good to take some time to laugh at ourselves, to how seriously sometimes we take things. There is something here. There's something about wealth, possessions, Jesus, God, being in right relationship for each other. Perhaps it's not an admonition to give away half of all that we own, but a serious invitation to consider our relationship with our wealth and our possessions. Scholar of Luke, Francois Bavon, writes, In Luke, the attitude of people toward their possessions has become the test of their commitment to their faith. In this gospel, which was written to a fairly affluent upper-class community, Luke highlights the teachings of Jesus that get us to question our relationship with our possessions, because for him, that's an indicator of how our relationship with God is and where our faith is. This is why it's been a topic over the past few months and why we hear this morning, woe to the rich. It's an invitation to question to consider. Now, of course, this saying, woe to the rich, is embedded with other things. It's a collection we call the Beatitudes. It's from the Sermon on the Plain, Jesus' first extended public teaching in the Gospel of Luke. It's sort of where he lays out his whole plan, all of his thoughts, in one place. It's his extended set of teachings. The parallel to the Sermon on the Plain is the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew, which also contains the Beatitudes. But they're a little bit different. In Matthew, he spiritualizes them. In that Gospel, the ones who are blessed are the poor in spirit, or those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And we hold up these two Beatitudes next to each other we can really see what Luke is trying to do. Luke is making the Beatitudes about here and now. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those of you who are hungry now. Blessed are those who weep now. There's an immediacy to Jesus' words in Luke. And I think what it betrays 
is that our struggles in this world matter to God. It's not something spiritualized or esoteric or otherworldly. It's about you and me here and now. Our struggles with lack, whether that's lack of resources or lack of wealth or lack of food or lack of joy, all of these things matter to God. And there's blessing to be found because one day it will be different. It's sort of a posture of looking to the future, hope inspired by the promise to come. And this is where the blessing lies. It isn't that the state of poverty or hunger or weeping is blessed in and of itself. Sometimes we do that. Sometimes we romanticize the lack of something. We'll look and say, oh, those people over there have it simple and they can have a deeper relationship with God than somebody like me. But when we romanticize the lack, we go into dangerous territory. So it isn't that. Blessing comes because of the dependent clause. The poor aren't blessed because poverty is something exalted, but because theirs is the kingdom of God. That's why they're blessed. The hungry are blessed because one day they will be full. The weeping are blessed because they will laugh. The blessing comes not in the original state of being, but in the change of status. The change that is ultimately eschatological or in the world to come or some future. But the promise finds itself also being made for in the present. So we have this immediacy, this here and now, and this immediacy is also present in the list of woes. It's about those who are rich now, those who are full now, those who are laughing now. It's about our present state of being. And just as these sets of, just as the sets of blessings, Woe doesn't exist because of the state of being itself, but arrives again in the dependent clause. As poverty isn't some sort of blessed state, so being rich is not a woeful way of being, woe comes in because wealth is its own consolation. There is no future benefit to riches like there is to poverty. Wealth has its benefits, but they're here and they're not. We're able to do things if we have resources. We're able to take care of others if we have resources. But it's limited. It provides its own benefits, and they last only as long as the wealth does. And so woe comes because riches don't provide the protection we think they do because they don't last. No state of being is permanent, and wealth and its limited benefits don't endure. Probably some of us know people who have had a change of fortune that has happened really quickly with the loss of a job, change in circumstances, mental health struggles. It changes too quickly. And whether that change comes in this lifetime or the next, Woe accompanies the change. It's a natural byproduct. This is where the 
problem arises, misunderstanding wealth and prioritizing something ephemeral over the eternal. The same is, is, is even more true for those of us who are full now and those of us who laugh now because we're going to be hungry later on today. We're going to be hungry tonight. We're going to be hungry tomorrow. As we're laughing now, we know that state doesn't exist one day. Maybe not tomorrow, but maybe the next day we will be crying. We will be mourning. It changes. And that changes, that changing state, that impermanence causes woe. So in order to be in proper relationship with them, we must understand that they will change, that they do not last, that they're not the things that we should cling to. It's about being in right relationship with those things, understanding where they go. Now, these aren't just some set of nice phrases that Jesus says to make us feel good. There's a challenge in the Beatitudes, a challenge in his words to think differently, to act differently, because it's about change. The change, as we said before, has this eschatological feel that when Jesus comes back, when the kingdom comes, there's going to be some change there and some hope. And while there is this change, there's also the idea that it's about now. You see, the kingdom in a form came in the person of Christ, a partially realized form that lives on in us, the church, the body of Christ. And so we can affect some of these blessings now. The early church would have experienced this in a very literal way. Because the poor and the hungry and the weeping were blessed in a real way when they became part of the church. Luke writes in his next book, he describes the early church and he says, All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any child need. Coming in poverty to the Christian community or hungry to the Christian community meant that that blessing happened here on earth. It wasn't just a promise for an unknowable future, but a reality that could be tasted now. I think this is also true for you and for me, not just for the early church. The call is to make the blessedness happen now. You and I can affect change. We can bless the poor. We can fill the hungry. We can give the weeping an opportunity to laugh. And we don't even have to look outside of these four walls because in our community are all of those things. We are the now. We are the taste of God's kingdom here. Yes, there will be a day to come when all is completed, but that shouldn't stop us from acting as Christ today. This day, this All Saints Day, the day when we have the invitation to follow the footsteps of the saintly ones who have gone before us, those who knew that saintly living meant recognizing the woes of placing trust in our own material states of being, changing how we think, 
and affecting the blessings in this world. On this feast day, today, my friends, let us not just remember the saints, but become saints by giving to others, by loving everyone, including our enemies, and by turning woe into blessings.